The Yo Soy Belinda, the Belinda the Housekeeper Story audio podcast is written, produced, and voiced by Lisa Timmons in the voice of Gwyneth Palcho, a completely fictional character who in no way resembles a certain Hollywood actress with a similar sounding name. From the Goop headquarters located in one of my walk-in closets at an undisclosed location within the greater Los Angeles area, I'm Gwyneth Palcho coming at you with my true crime audio podcast entitled Yo Soy Belinda, the Belinda the Housekeeper Story. Join me as I solve the mystery of what happened to my housekeeper, Belinda, who mysteriously disappeared just as my latest beauty product rolled out called Belinda in a Bottle, leading to completely unfounded speculation that I was using her body to make beauty products for the rich and celebrity-obsessed. Last time on Yo Soy Belinda, the Belinda the Housekeeper story. I gasped in fear before looking around my closet in terror. Luckily, however, my instincts quickly kicked in, and I opened my underwear drawer so that I could yank out Belinda's bloody clothes, shove them in my purse, and run as fast as I could to the Goop Laboratory. But as far away as I was able to run from the voice... The clear, undeniable whisper of its message remained in my ear, playing on a haunting, torturous loop. Belinda still lives. Belinda still lives. I love it. I'm slowly starting to become obsessed with this Belinda character. She's definitely livening things up around here. Are you on her side or mine? Sides? What sides? You keep forgetting that my fate is inexplicably tied to yours, as we are the same person. My only goal is uncovering the truth, not just your truth. Because while your truth appears satisfactory and is likely to be accepted by the general public... It's never quite as juicy as the real thing, is it? So, you say you went straight to the Goop Laboratory? I did. My heart raced as I rushed into the Goop headquarters, carrying Belinda's bloody rags in my purse. Not wanting to waste a moment, I wore my dark sunglasses inside the lobby, along with a jaunty pale pink Gucci scarf casually tied around my head, so that I could go unnoticed, yet still stylish straight into the Goop Laboratory. The Goop Laboratory Back in 2008, I experienced a very special actor milestone, which was celebrating the premiere of my first appearance in a Marvel franchise film. Production on Iron Man began in 2007, and I was overjoyed to have been cast as Pepper Potts the red-headed assistant to Tony Stark, I decided to go full method actor in preparation for the role. Like Charlize Theron getting weight for Monster, or Glenn Close living as Corella DeVille during the filming of 101 Dalmatians, I wanted to completely lose myself in Pepper's existence. Upon finding out that her origin story was as a secretary, I decided I needed to do some serious first-hand research. It was imperative that I immerse myself into the world of a regular, regular, working woman. 
I began by watching Working Girl and Legally Blonde, studying the power dynamics of the characters with intensity. I learned that if a working woman is to be taken seriously in the office, her hair should have as little volume as possible. I tasked my personal assistant at the time with hiring an actor for me, one with a secretarial background so that they could pretend to be my boss. I instructed them to treat me exactly as they had been treated. The hiring process for this turned out to be quite tricky, as I would often forget the true power dynamic of our working relationship. Inevitably, I would lose my temper and fire them the minute they made their first unreasonable request. The things that their former bosses had expected of them as employees horrified me. Personal boundaries were non-existent, and the ridiculous tasks these people would request were not to be believed. Eventually, I gave up and decided that secretly wearing a strawberry blonde merkin under my clothes would serve as the inspirational secret for the role that only I would know about. Well, I was the only one who knew about it, along with Brickell, my personal assistant at the time, who actually purchased the custom-made merkin and helped me take it on and off. She was also tasked with making sure it was trimmed and dry-cleaned on a daily basis. She sounds great. Whatever happened to her? You know what? <laughs> she might be in the tunnels. I think she quit shortly after I had her doing all that merkin stuff. I believe she said something to the effect of, I didn't get a degree from Fitum just to trim and dry clean a rich lady's pube wig for a living. I'm paraphrasing, but you get the picture. It is hard to find good help. But anyways, back to Iron Man. When I finally had a chance to see the movie and experience Tony Stark's laboratory as a moviegoer, I knew I had to have one of my own. I immediately got to work. I knew it was going to be cutthroat, highly competitive, and the most difficult challenge I would ever undertake, but by God, I was going to build the most advanced, innovative laboratory intended for the research of staying young and appealing if it was the last thing I did. While you may have heard of the infamous space race that took place between Russia and the United States during the Cold War, it's very unlikely that you are officially aware of a toned arms race, or face race, that's taking place in Hollywood and honestly, around the entire world. Since Hollywood's first young, smooth faces were initially projected onto movie screens, Actors and actresses alike have been looking for ways to preserve their youthful glow. Their moneymakers, if you will. And then, something unexpected threw the industry into an uproar. In 1996, the first high-definition television broadcast aired in Raleigh, North Carolina, with cable television companies starting to offer HD channels by 2003. And in 2009, all analog TV broadcast switched over to digital, ensuring the transition to HD TV represented the new standard in how TV and movie viewers would experience entertainment in their homes. With televisions growing in size and broadcast clarity, the potential for one's on-screen insecurities exploded exponentially. Unfortunately, for many of my peers, advances in the makeup and beauty fields were lagging behind those in television broadcast technology. As a result, for a brief period of time in the early 2000s, 
actors' faces were being filmed with makeup that wasn't yet capable of concealing high-definition flaws. There was a panic among the beautiful within the industry, who were now realizing that the stakes of physical perfection had risen to a shocking new height in such a short amount of time. Visible evidence of the existence of one's pores, zits, thinning hairlines, and bald spots were, for a short moment, impossible to hide. Eventually, high-definition makeup and new techniques were mastered, but it's impossible to estimate the damage done to the earning potential of those whose imperfections had already been seen by the general public. Celebrities, they're just like us, was not a phrase that made celebrities particularly happy. Walking the fine line of being seen as relatable while still also somehow remaining unattainable just got even more difficult. By the time I fired off my first Goop newsletter, I had been hard at work doing my research. Inspired by how NASA cleverly scooped up rocket scientists from the fallen Nazi regime in order to engage in their space race to the moon after World War II, I scoured the globe for any rogue wellness scientist willing to push the boundaries of what was considered acceptable in modern medicine. I knew I needed innovators, unafraid of pesky things like ethics and cultural appropriation, who would instead test the limits of how far this blonde could legally, or, let's be honest, illegally, go in order to preserve one's perceived attractiveness. And after all, isn't legality considered to be in the eye of the beholder? That's how I came across Dr. Moreau. And yes, in case you are wondering, it is in fact that Dr. Moreau of the Moreau family in Brussels, Belgium. A distant descendant of the Belgian astronomer Adolphe Jacques Coutelet, the inventor of the body mass index, or BMI as it's more commonly known, Moreau was less than six degrees separated from the grandfather of fat phobia himself. Coutelet was a multi-hyphenate, just like me. He was an astronomer, mathematician, statistician, and sociologist. However, one thing he was not was a medical doctor. And this fact greatly encouraged me to pursue my wellness and beauty business because clearly the lack of any real medical knowledge or ancient indigenous inherited shamanic practices need not be a hurdle when dictating to the Eurocentric beauty crowd what is healthy and what is not. Dr. Moreau Marlene Moreau first came across my radar when I began my research on the origins of modern-day unattainable beauty standards. I wanted to know more about anyone who had helped contribute to humanity's overwhelming capacity for self-loathing and negative projection onto those who reminded them of their perceived shortcomings. But even more specifically, what form did a white woman need to take in order to be at her most powerful? I first heard of Dr. Moreau through my connections on the black market beauty trade. There was a doctor who was rumored to be infusing the DNA of various exotic animals from around the world 
into the bodies of wealthy, willing women. In fact, the word among the elite was that infamous socialite, Jocelyn Wildenstein, had the genetic components of a Eurasian lynx to thank for her nickname, the Cat Lady. She asserted, very adamantly, that her appearance wasn't due to plastic surgery. While tabloid-consuming civilians rolled their eyes in disbelief at her assertion, and the rest of the beauty Illuminati publicly pretended to do the same, secretly, a buzz began to spread among certain circles that her anti-aging treatments, while demonstrably more extreme and obvious than most of us would have preferred, were impressive and not to be dismissed so easily. Many of us operating in this elite collective began to believe in earnest that we were witnessing the handiwork of an incredibly imaginative and bold scientist with a willingness to push the boundaries of beauty steadfastly into the realm of fringe science. Whispers among those in the know asked who this mysterious entity could be. Wildenstein herself certainly wasn't volunteering any salient details that could possibly reveal the identity of her facial benefactor. A race began among celebrities to plaster their famous faces on various beauty products in the hopes of getting the inside scoop on how to sidestep that pesky aging business. The trend began first with women, but soon everyone else got on board when they realized that unrealistic beauty standards need not be limited by gender labels. Insecurity and self-loathing had the potential to be an equal opportunity experience in this new modern world of consumerism as self-care. In 2004, pop singer turned endorsement savant Jessica Simpson launched Jessica Simpson Dessert Beauty, a line of edible makeup. While it has since been discontinued because it was genuinely a weird and terrible idea, famous faces took note of this shrewd business move. I realized I needed to find a mad yet brilliant scientist who could help facilitate my vision for no-holds-barred beauty experimentation. And I believed I would find that in Marlene Moreau. Rumored to be living in a remote location, Dr. Moreau fled Europe after a disastrous head transplant fiasco in the 90s that was publicly attributed to a hospital chart mix-up. However, the truth was that she had attempted to swap the head of a wealthy socialite with the 27-year-old body of her children's sleep nanny once the youngest child was consistently sleeping through the night. Thankfully, Moreau had enough family wealth and connections to slip out of Europe relatively unnoticed after the incident, and she moved to a tiny island off the coast of Turks and Caicos that had been in her family for generations. As the story goes, Marlene's ancestor, Jean-Philippe Moreau, got caught up in the 16th century European colonization craze and stumbled across a tiny island just outside of the Bermuda Triangle while on the hunt for something, anything to colonize with his modest but violent ragtag band of marauders. The local indigenous people had been peacefully living there for millennia. However, upon first meeting them, Moreau sneezed and shook their hands. This infected the locals with some virulent European disease which quickly wiped them out of existence. 
It's similar to what continues to happen now in the United States to the disabled, immunocompromised, brown, black, indigenous, and poor people disproportionately with COVID. The island has remained a family vacation home ever since. When I descended upon the island in a yacht I chartered in order to reach Moreau, she had been living there for over a decade. Cut off from civilization, but still somehow receiving regular subscriptions to Cosmo, Vogue, Us Weekly, People Magazine, and the National Enquirer, Moreau was able to stay up to date on the beauty obsessions that trended their way through all of Hollywood. By this point, she had become something of a mystical character, many believing that she had already somehow pushed beyond the boundaries of science into the supernatural. Her relative isolation on the island, she lived surrounded by hired help, guest workers from Turks and Caicos, and her lab assistant and daughter, Regine, fueled the rumors that she had quite possibly descended into her own personal heart of darkness. I met Regine at the island's dock, a young, slim brunette with large brown eyes and a trim athletic physique. She shook my hand when I stepped off the boat and I felt a surprising strength in her firm handshake. Welcome to Moreau Island, she said with a shy smile. You must be Gwyneth. Please come inside. Upon entering the Moreau family estate, I looked around with curiosity at the lush art on the walls, depicting all kinds of exotic animals from around the world. From portraits of wolves howling at a full moon in the desert, to picturesque jungle scenes of a black panther stalking a wild hog in the brush, I believed it was the perfect backdrop in which to meet my future partner in science and beauty. Over tea and gluten-free, high-protein Strupwaffel, we chatted about my vision for Goop, Marlene's aspirations in the beauty sciences, and the pressures of white motherhood. We bonded over our love of all things European, but most especially, the beauty of the European people. Once niceties had been discussed in the appropriate amount of time, I quickly got to my point. Dr. Moreau, I hate to be blunt, but I don't want to waste any of your time. It took me a lot of money and a lot of favors to get here. Dr. Moreau smiled a Cheshire cat grin and leaned back in her chair, regarding me with curiosity. What is it you'd like to ask me, Gwyneth? I girded my toned loins and continued. The laboratory that I want to build for Goop needs a fearless leader, and I believe that leader should be you. Would you join me in Los Angeles to build and run my Goop lab with me? At this, Marlene laughed gently. Oh, Gwyneth, if you understood what I have here on this island, you would realize that it makes absolutely no sense for me to leave. My anger at her refusal was quickly overtaken by curiosity. What exactly do you have here? Marlene stood up and then said grandly, Allow me to show you. Regine, would you please lead Ms. Gwyneth and myself downstairs into the laboratory? 
I followed Regine as she took us through the Moreau estate, which beheld an ocean view that one can only truly experience through tropical island ownership. Upon reaching a lavishly designed, old-fashioned elevator, Regine stopped and pressed a button. Looking at the intricate metal design closely, I found myself involuntarily asking, Is that... Congolese sterling silver, Moreau answered with a satisfied look on her face. Yes, much like this estate, it's been in my family for generations. But don't tell the Congolese, lest they start playing the whole reparations card. (laughs) We both laughed at this. I took heart in the fact that she was comfortable joking with me so openly about her family's role in establishing white supremacy over the global south, believing that it was a sign that she saw me as a social peer. I sighed a sigh of relief. When the doors of the elevator heaved open to reveal Moreau's laboratory, I was rendered speechless by what I saw. A stainless steel, glossy white workspace filled with what could only be described as a high-tech, futuristic Dr. Frankenstein beauty lab. Massive glass vials contained the suspended bodies of what were clearly various exotic animals preserved in some clear liquid. And so exotic were these creatures in some cases that they were likely one of a kind, exclusive, limited edition originals handcrafted by Moreau herself. The room smelled of antiseptic and sandalwood incense. I was immediately enchanted by all that I witnessed. My imagination of the Goop Lab in its wildest incarnation had never presented itself as something half as impressive as what was laid out before me. Regine, show Miss Gwyneth. I turned to see Regine nod demurely to her mother before walking away, only to return almost immediately, dragging what looked like a cardboard cutout, the dark fabric draped across it concealing what the cutout displayed. Regine placed it next to her before standing to face in a line with the cutout opposite me. Her mother skulked toward the cutout, pulling the fabric dramatically away to reveal what appeared to be a life-sized portrayal of a much larger, heavier version of Regine. I gasped. Is that really you? I asked Regine, confused. She nodded again demurely before stepping aside to allow her mother to steal focus. But how? At this, Marlene replied, I have come up with a revolutionary, unprecedented treatment that helps her to maintain the body weight of her choice. Intrigued, I queried, What method are you using to combat her body's natural inclination to be whatever weight? It's supposed to be. Moreau threw back her head and cackled at this. Wouldn't you like to know? Unable to conceal my ferocious appetite for her secret, I quickly replied, I would, and I'd be happy to pay handsomely for it. Name your price. This time, Moreau's reaction was decidedly coquettish. She raised an eyebrow and said, I come from an old, wealthy European family and I run a very profitable black market plastic surgery practice. There is no amount of money 
or material property you could offer me that I can't already access through my generational wealth and privilege. I knew she was right. So instead of fighting her on this point, I decided to try a different tactic. Marlene, there's a reason I chose to come here myself and didn't send some representative on behalf of my interests. You are my idol. I've done my research. If you're responsible for even half of the transformations for which Manhattan and Beverly Hills give you credit, then it was worth it for me to come out here just to shake the hand of the woman who helped Mariah Carey obtain the secret mermaid gills she's been coveting since she was a child. From her facial expression, I could tell that Marlene was pleased. So I continued. I wouldn't ask you to reveal any proprietary secrets to me because I know that's not a reasonable request. But you must also realize that you are far too much of a genius for me to even hope to recreate whatever you've accomplished here. I'm dying of curiosity. Thin white woman to thin white woman. What's your secret? Surely you're dying to tell someone the details of how you came to create your groundbreaking innovation that keeps your daughter looking so thin. Marlene took a moment after my speech to nod in thought. Eventually, as I'd hoped, my flattery proved irresistible. Flattery really does get you everywhere, especially with narcissists. A weekly injection is the key, she finally relented. I was completely alert in that moment, not wanting to miss a single detail. Injection? What sort? Botox? Fillers? Industrial-grade appetite suppressant? Marlene shook her head from side to side, a satisfied look on her face. Not even close. Some sort of hormone to increase the metabolism. Cocaine. Speed. Marlene laughed. <laughs> Street drugs? Please, Gwyneth. You must think more of me than that. No, you should stop trying to guess, because you never will. So, tell me then. What sort of injection are you giving your daughter on a weekly basis that keeps her so thin? I insisted. Marlene's eyes lit up. Suppository. A poop suppository. Wait, what? Did you just say poop? I asked, hardly able to believe that I felt compelled to utter that sentence. Marlene continued excitedly. Yes, poop. I've discovered that the key to everlasting thinness is poop. I take the poop of a very thin person, freeze-dry it to preserve it for up to 26 years, maintaining its probiotic properties, and then take the dried product and put it into capsules, which in turn go up a person's rear end. Good lord, woman, are you mad? I couldn't help but cry out. Even I and all of my beauty-obsessed hallucinations had never once dared to think about, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, poop as some source of everlasting thinness and vitality. Marlene grabbed me with both arms, looking me directly in the eyes. Gwyneth, it's the truth. Calm yourself if you want me to tell you how I did it. Almost instantly, my shoulders relaxed, and I nodded obediently, like a little girl. She let me loose and began to pace theatrically, gesturing broadly as she spoke. A Russian ballerina, whose name I cannot repeat, was preparing for a once-in-a-lifetime audition for the Paris Opera Ballet 
and she reached out to me to see if there was any way scientifically possible for me to help her become more swan-like. I happened to have a trumpeter swan hanging around. I don't normally have them on hand, so I believed it to be a serendipitous request. I agreed to customize a procedure for her. She came to the island for a series of secret treatments in which I used the swan DNA to elongate her neck, legs, and wingspan. Meanwhile, I had also been toying with the freeze-dried poop capsule idea, sketching out complicated hypotheses and theory, but I wanted to get my hands on some grade A, thin white lady poop to see just how far I could push this crazy experiment in practice. While the ballerina was staying with me to receive her treatments, I managed to collect samples from her guest room toilet. Next, I instructed Regine to begin a monthly regimen and she has been enjoying the physique of a world-class ballerina ever since. And something else happened. In little moments throughout the day, Regine would engage in a spontaneous ballet move. A pirouette here and a grand jeté there would emerge effortlessly despite the fact that she has no dance training to speak of. As it turns out, something special was happening with these fecal transfusions. Science is realizing more and more that the stomach actually functions as a second brain in the human body. And in my search for thinness for my daughter, Regine had acquired intrinsic knowledge from this ballerina in the process of using her perfectly balanced waste matter. You see, not enough people realize how utterly terrible the state of their gut is. Unbalanced bacteria in the stomach and an addiction to sugar and processed foods effectively campaigned by and flawlessly executed by the ultimate drug dealer itself, the agro-industrial complex, have helped cause this widespread epidemic of imbalanced tummies and therefore imbalanced brains. Food deserts in redlined areas and aggressive fast food industries preying on those of a lower income have ensured that obesity exists as a clear marker of lower social standing. And, well, let's just say it, non-whiteness. But this sort of transfusion is nothing new. Fecal biota transplants have been used to treat patients with antibiotic-resistant stomach infections since the late 1950s. This specific procedure that I've perfected, however, is special because I've incorporated elements of the supernatural into the treatment. Oh, wow. So Moreau isn't just a doctor, is she? No, definitely not. Moreau continued to explain the details of her procedure by saying, before the arrival of my ballerina patient, there was an incident. One of the guest workers on the island was gravely injured during a meat slicing accident in the kitchen while making dinner. After I bandaged her up and went into the kitchen for a glass of water, I noticed something strange. A mass of her blood had pooled on the ground, a dark puddle glistening on the surface of the kitchen floor, revealing the reflection of the blood moon in the night sky. It was in that reflection that I saw a pair of green, glowing eyes and a mouth. The mouth opened to speak to me. I couldn't help but notice that you've shed the blood of a hard-working woman who is true of heart and devoid of greed on the eve of a blood moon. Marlene then told me that she was too surprised to speak 
convinced that somehow she had gone into shock, even though she hadn't even been injured. The voice continued. I've been a fan of your work for some time, Moreau, following your career with much interest. You have a talent for creating beautiful, terrifying things, and I'm very impressed with your creativity and fearlessness. It seems as if there's no limit to your dark imagination. At this point, Marlene said that she snapped to and responded to the disembodied blood pool face. Who are you? And what do you want? Even though it was just a pair of eyes and a mouth, Marlene could clearly see that it smiled upon hearing her questions. Think of me as a fallen angel investor, a silent spiritual benefactor who would love to see how far you can go with your considerable talents. I want to offer you something special, Marlene, a bit of magic. Marlene was suspicious and asked, What exactly are you offering? That new treatment you're researching to help your daughter remain thin? I can help you with what you're hoping to achieve. A guaranteed lifetime of perpetual thinness. An ability to capture the essence of the bodies widely revered as the height of narrowly defined modern beauty standards. This could all be yours, if you like. I've read enough fairy tales to know that these kind of agreements never come for free. What is it you want in return? Ah, right to the point. I like that. All I have is a simple request. Let's hear it, Marlene pressed. You'll find a leather-bound guest book in your laboratory. When your patients come to you for this treatment, tell them what you are able to offer them. If they wish to receive the treatment, Tell them they must sign their name on a new page, agreeing to the terms of the procedure. At this point, Marlene couldn't believe what she was hearing. These terms are as follows. Anyone who receives this treatment once will enjoy a lifetime of perpetual thinness and also have access to the muscle memory of their donor's superior physical prowess for the rest of their lives. However... By signing the guest book in blood, they agree to remain in possession of their soul while their bodies will belong to me for the remainder of their time on Earth. Don't believe me? Go to your laboratory. Marlene rushed down to her lab. Stepping inside, she saw sitting on the operating table in the center of the lab an ancient-looking, leather-bound tome that she had never seen before. See? I was telling you the truth. Considering the offer, Marlene finally said, I can't do this to my daughter. I want her to be thin, but I can't allow her body to be given to you because you are obviously the devil. I understand. Sacrificing our children is often the one line we say we refuse to cross. However, I can offer a compromise. Your daughter's treatment will work. But you'll have to give it to her on a monthly basis. I'll allow her this gift of perpetual thinness if you adhere to these terms. You must convince the rest of your patients who come to you for this treatment to sign the book. They will be happy with the results. You'll be even richer than you are now. And most importantly, your daughter will enjoy a lifetime of being a thin, white woman. 
Well, as long as you keep up those monthly treatments. Marlene breathed a sigh of relief. Oh, yeah, well, I have no problem getting my patients to sign away their bodies. It's a deal. She then gathered up the blood from the kitchen, bottled it in a crystal decanter which she stored away to use for ink for the signatures. She continued. One by one, my patients gave their signatures, sometimes not even reading the terms of the agreement. Too eager were they to get to their perpetual thinness as soon as possible. And, one by one, I fulfilled my end of the bargain to the devil, which I plan to keep doing for the rest of my natural life, and which I'm pretty sure I can make last quite a long time. So, do you see why you don't have anything you can offer me that I don't already have? I took this information in, the wheels in my brain turning, formulating a response. Let me ask you this, Moreau. What's your source for thin lady poops? Moreau furrowed her brow. My patience. Why do you ask? What if I told you that I could get you the poops of some of the biggest, thinnest movie stars in all of Hollywood? I was pretty sure that this sentence brought a glimmer to Moreau's eyes. And how would you be able to do that? She queried. I'm institutional Hollywood, a true Nepo baby. I know everyone who is anyone, and all of them at some point will breeze through my family home, and I will patiently wait until they have to use the guest bathroom, where I will have already installed an apparatus to collect their waste matter. No matter how long it takes, I will be able to catalog and give you access to the perfectly preserved feces of as many A-listers as your scientist heart desires. You do know that I was once engaged to Brad Pitt, don't you? She replied, of course, you talk about that in every interview. Well, I continued, then you should know that we ended on good terms, which means Moreau cut me off as she realized what I was telling her which means that you are less than six degrees separated from Jennifer Aniston's poop. Oh my God. I smiled at her. That's right. I am. All I ask is that you come help me start this goop laboratory in Los Angeles. Bring your daughter and your guest workers if you so desire. You'll have access to whatever you need. Moreau looked over at Regine, who simply smiled obediently at her mother. She looked around her lab, and then finally, back at me. It's a deal, she said, before reaching out her hand to shake my hand. And we've been making magic in the goop lab ever since. Wow! I somehow forgot all about how the goop lab started. What a fascinating tale. It reminds me of a movie I once saw starring Marlon Brando, covered in high SPF sunscreen. But maybe that was actually just a dream. That sounds vaguely familiar. I think I may have seen that same movie. Anyway, you can imagine how excited I was when I finally made my way to the basement level in the elevator at Goop headquarters, and the doors heaved open to reveal the full, splendid glory of Dr. Moreau's Goop laboratory in front of me. Striding inside quickly, I rushed over to Dr. Moreau, who stood next to Regine, both wearing lab coats and protective eyewear, as they quietly mixed vials of chemicals side by side. 
They looked up to see me walking towards them before I yanked Belinda's bloody rags out of my purse and plopped them onto the table in front of them both. The women both put down the vials they were handling and looked quizzically at the rags and then back at me before Moreau picked them up and held them in her hands for a moment. Suddenly, she held the rags up to her face and breathed in deeply. Her eyes closed and a blissful expression overtook her countenance before she said gleefully to me, Ah, smells like fresh meat. <laughs> <laughs>